Good morning. And greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, as Pastor Garrett mentioned earlier, we're continuing through the Easter season. And we're journeying with Jesus' disciples through the events that took place in the aftermath of the death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is a pivotal point in human history. It's the point at which something new happened, and since then, nothing has ever been the same. And honestly, what happened, it's unexplainable. That what would start with 120 people praying together and waiting in an upper room would become 120 people in Santa Clarita worshiping the same God and the power of the same Spirit together 2,000 years later. It's unexplainable. That is, at least, it's unexplainable for those who do not understand the power of God and the power of Jesus Christ to achieve the impossible, to bring the dead to life. And this week, we see what happens as this movement that was founded on the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus begins to uh, expand from 120 people uh, to a movement of people living in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's that same Spirit that is with us today and inside each and every person whose faith is in Jesus Christ. And that movement, that movement of the Spirit of God, that blessed and chosen community, in the Scriptures it has a name. It's called the church. In today's text, we see a description of the first church. But you see, it's not just the first church, because there's only one. One body of Christ. It was them and it's us today. And so we see this description of a community where the power of God is alive and active and continually bringing out something new. And the promise is that this wouldn't just be something that happened, but that is continually happening. That God is continuing to this day to do the very same kinds of things that he did on that day as we faithfully follow Jesus Christ. And so my hope for us today is that as we dig into this passage, into this sort of job description of the church, we would see it not just as a description of what once happened, but as a call and a description of what can and still does happen as people gather to together with Jesus Christ at their center. And so our passage says this. Simply put, it says, our purpose is to be the church, and God's promise is to build the church. We be the church, and God builds the church. So what does it look like for us to be the church, to be God's holy and chosen people, the text goes into rapid-fire detail 
about it. And I want to pick up on four things that come specifically out of verse 42, our first verse today. It says that there were four things that the people of God had devoted themselves to. And everything else that comes in the passage is the fruit of these four devotions. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things. And the first was the apostles' teachings. And what they had in the apostles' teachings was a faithful account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ by the very eyes that saw it happen, by the very ears that heard the teachings. An account of who Jesus was and what he did, passed on from that first generation on from generation to generation. And it is this very testimony, the witness of the apostles, the apostles' teachings that is passed down to us as it was faithfully and inspired by the Holy Spirit passed down to us through the Scriptures. In this story of Jesus, it's founded in that story of the Old Testament, that story of God's faithfulness from the beginning to that, that day, to this present day of a God who is continually faithful at working for the good of the people whom he loves, even when they are not faithful to him. And so in the pages of the scriptures, we have the testimony of God's continued and unbreakable faithfulness to us. And the church was devoted to it. And the second thing, it says that they were devoted to the fellowship. Devoted to the fellowship. Now, I think the word fellowship, uh, it's something that I consider a church word. Uh, and one of my personal pastoral missions is to demystify church words. Uh, and what I mean by church word is this. It's a word that Christian people often use. It's a word that we use in church very often. But if I had to pin you down and say, what's the dictionary definition of fellowship? We might struggle a little bit. It's kind of the like, I don't know, but I know it when I see it kind of thing. And so what is fellowship? I think in Lutheran churches, it often gets associated with things like potlucks and social time, right? Uh, at my last church, we actually had Lutheran Fellowship Blend coffee. It's a type of coffee, too, apparently. Uh, but I think the only fellowship that came out of it uh, was that there was a community of people who were all committed to the uh, unalienable truth that the coffee was bad. Lutheran Fellowship Blend. I'm glad we don't have it here. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, I think that that kind of cheapens the biblical picture of fellowship. When the people were devoted to fellowship, I don't think they were devoted to potlucks and bad coffee. You see, in the Bible, in the Scriptures, the word fellowship is not a verb. It's not something we do. 
It is a noun. It's something we are. And we fellowship together around something. Now, I'm, I'll show my nerd credentials here. I think the Lord of the Rings is helpful for us in this. You know, the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, it was the people who gathered together around the mission centered around this ring. And so the fellowship of the church, it is a people gathered together around the person and the mission of Jesus Christ. It's a people gathered together to encourage, support, and challenge one another, to put Christ at the center. Because we can fellowship, we can be a fellowship around all sorts of things. Whether it is the one ring or something else. But fellowship around Jesus Christ is one of the great treasures of the church. It's not just social time. It is a family of faith committed to following Christ together and inspiring faith in one another day in and day out. This is important for us because we live in a world today of fragile communities, of people to gather together around shared beliefs or shared practices but are all too ready to reject people who don't toe the party line. It's a world of fragile communities and it perpetuates anxiety and fear. But you see, the fellowship of people who gather around Christ is a resilient one. It's one whose love for God and love for each other is not fragile. Hardship cannot break it. Persecution only strengthens it. Because it has the antidote for sin and to offense. It knows how to forgive and it knows how to heal. You see, the church is unbreakable. Because it is founded on the one who not even death could conquer. And so the church was devoted to this fellowship. And the next, it was devoted to the breaking of bread. And so you do get to keep the potlucks. The potluck fans, you've been found out. Now, it says, even uh, later on in the chapter, it says that they ate together in their homes with glad and sincere hearts. They actually, they hung out together in person and they actually liked it. It's a great sign that you have the church. Uh, But this breaking of the bread, it's not just about food, but of a very particular kind of bread one which was broken for us. You see, the Augsburg Confession, one of the earliest uh, confessions of faith of the Lutheran Church, 
describes the true church, the true community of God, as the community within which the gospel is rightly preached. That is, the community within which Jesus is the center. And the community within which the sacraments are rightly practiced. And so it makes sense that as we gather together to worship each Sunday, that the preaching of God's Word, the reading of Scriptures, and the participation in the Lord's table would form the center of what we do. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says this, He says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. Because there was a perfect body broken for us, we have hope that Jesus Christ could take a broken body like this and heal and redeem it for his purposes, to perfect it. And so that's why the altar, the table of Jesus, is at the center of our space. It's not an accident or a coincidence. We don't put the organ there with a worship team or even the pulpit. But the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us for the forgiveness of sins is the center. Because you see, the sacraments, they're not just a practice. They are actually the gospel itself that Christ would give himself fully for us and that we could take it in our fingers, we could consume it, and we could know that when we do, we have not just eaten bread and wine, but we have received the very body and blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and that every promise of God is made good. And it is made for you. The church was devoted to the breaking of the bread. And lastly, they prayed together. And I talked about this in a little more length last week in my message. And so I won't get too far into it today. If you didn't catch that message last week, I encourage you uh, to find it on the YouTube channel uh, and check it out. Uh, But I do have one thing in particular that I want to say about prayer in relationship to the community of God we call the church. When we pray together and when we pray for one another, it builds up the community of faith. When we share with one another our deep hurts and pains, our deepest and most honest desires, And we promise one another to bring them before the very God of the universe together. It unites us 
It breaks down walls. It heals hurts. And it brings us together as a community. You see, there is something that we pray together every single week. And I think it is one of the most reckless prayers we do. We say every week together, on earth as it is in heaven. And here's the thing. For us as God's people, for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ, we will be together fully healed, fully redeemed for all of eternity in the presence of God. Which means that there are hurts, there are sins that do not get to follow us into heaven. There are petty squabbles that we don't get to take with us into the presence of God for all of eternity because the blood of Jesus Christ washes it clean and it redeems it. It heals it so that we would be a perfect community gathered together around the throne of Jesus. And every week we pray on earth as it is in heaven and we say, God, we want you to bring a little bit of that into our reality today. And that's a dangerous prayer if you are really committed to things in life staying the way they are. Because things in this life are not perfect. Things in this life are broken and sinful. But the promise of God for his people is that in Jesus Christ, that is being and in fact has been remedied on your behalf. And so whether we learn to love one another on earth as we will in heaven or not, God will have his way. In his challenge to the church, that thing that Jesus taught each and every one of us to pray was that it would happen sooner than later. And my hope for us here at Christ Lutheran Church is that we would be a group of people who desire sooner than later. Amen? Amen. They were devoted to prayer. And as the church was devoted to these things, incredible stuff happened. Wonders and miracles. People were united. People sacrificed their own for the good of others. They spent time together. They actually liked each other. They praised and worshiped God together. And the love that they had was infectious. It was compelling. People were drawn to it. People were drawn to the church as it lived into its identity as God's people. But there's something about this passage that we read today that is stunning to me. It's an incredible reminder to us of how often we get things backwards. 
It's the last verse. It says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord will build the church. The Lord will grow his church. Not you or I. And it makes sense to me that we get this backwards because so often it comes from the pulpit backwards. Church growth gurus get it backwards. But we don't grow the church. We be the church. And as we are faithful to God, God is faithful to his people. And he grows his church. You know, in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus is talking with, uh, with Peter, who has just made the first ever confession of Jesus as Messiah in all of human history. And he says to Peter, on this rock, on this solid foundation of the confession of faith of Jesus as the Christ, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Like I said, the church is not fragile. Jesus will build it and it will not fall. And so let's lean into that I will of God. Let's trust that when God says I will, he will. It's a theme throughout all of history. It is a theme that goes back all the way to the earliest stories of the scriptures. We see that when God makes his first promise to Abraham, as he establishes his people, God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. We see it in our Old Testament reading today. I will restore the fortunes of Israel. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And yet so often, we want to do the things that God has promised he will do for us. It's actually, it's actually the first sin we see in scriptures. As the serpent says, if you take a bite of that fruit, you will be like God. And Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation. And we so often give in to the temptation ourselves to be our own saviors, to earn it, to prove to others and to God that we deserve the love that he has for us. We try and earn our salvation like it was a wage rather than receiving our salvation like it was a gift, like it was a promise. And so my hope for us as God's people 
is that we would let go of trying to be the gods of our own lives and let God be God. Let God do what he has promised and we can be his children. We can be his family that he calls the church. See, this is what happens when Christ is at the center. But a congregation can have a beautiful building. It can have pews full of people on a Sunday morning. But if Jesus isn't at the center, then it's not the church. You know, sometimes congregations gather together around a charismatic preacher or a really excellent worship band or a particular set of inviolable traditions. And yet if that's at the center, it's not the church. But if Jesus is at the center, you have something unstoppable. You have the people of God, holy and chosen and dearly loved. You have something that the gates of hell themselves cannot stand up against. And that's who we are. We are Christ's. And so our call, in wrapping things up today, our call is to be the church and trust that God will build the church because it's his. It's not mine. It's not Pastor Garrett's. It's not yours. It's Jesus's church. And the amazing thing about it, about the church of Jesus Christ, is that it is built on a firm and unshakable foundation. No persecution, no challenge, no hardship, no secular culture, no ideological agenda, not even hell can overcome it. Because it has already been defeated by the one who is its center, its foundation, and its perfecter. So let us be faithful, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let us be a church, a community, a family who leans into the I will of God. And let us watch as the God for whom all things are possible does a new thing right here in this place and in your life to his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are the Lord of your church. God, you are the establisher of it and its perfecter. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to you and trust that you love and care for your people more than we, far more than we ever could. Lord, let us trust in your promises and give us faith. 
Lord, we pray that we here at Christ Lutheran Church would fearlessly live into our identity as the church of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, watch in awe, but with zero surprise, as you do incredible things through your people. For the glory of your name, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.